Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the gift of another year. Lord, let this year, 2012, ring true to us that call you Lord, that call you Christ the King, that we may reach out around our neighborhoods, around our homes, around our families, around the world, Lord, that we can serve you and proclaim your majesty to those that don't know you, Lord. Teach us today, instruct us, Lord, in your ways that we may follow you. We know your plan is better than our plan, and your ways are better than our ways. Teach us, O Lord, today. Uh, Have us serve you and make more and better followers of you. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. Good morning to you. So glad you're here spending uh, the first day of the year in church. I think it's powerful. A powerful testimony that the body of Christ has come together to worship the King of Kings in this, his lifetime, and this, our opportunity to, uh, to worship in his universe. And uh, this morning, if you have the Word of God, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. I have been a little bit under the weather, so my voice, I pray, will hold for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. And so hopefully you'll listen quick, and I'll try to do my best to articulate uh, so you can understand all that's going on. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, we're excited about what God has in store for this year. And as we come to worship His name and dive into His Word, uh, we want to sense what God is at work doing in our church and in your life. And pray that you get a vision for the Lord would speak to you this morning through His Word. And I'm excited to see how the Lord will uh, reveal Himself. I am amazed at uh, the things that take place in my life. I am uh, always looking around and amazed at a variety of things and I don't know if you've had this experience, but uh, sometimes things will take place that I want to share with someone else. I don't know if you've been on a lake before or around a body of water, and all of a sudden a fish jumps out of that water, and it's amazing, this monster fish, and you turn to someone and say, hey, did you see that? And by the time they turn, the fish is already back in the water. They missed it. Or maybe uh, like a firework would fall in the sky. Last night we drove home from from, uh, Dallas. We uh, we saw some fireworks, and I turned to my son and said, hey, look to your left, there's some fireworks. And as soon as you turn left, they had already dissipated in the sky. Or maybe there's been a shooting star that's been amazing, and you said, hey, 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 look at the star, and by the time someone else looked up, it's already gone. It makes me think about the, the common experiences. We see something amazing and wonderful. We experience something, and we want to share that with someone, right? And, and sometimes we, we're a little late in the process. And I think about a, a really deep spiritual moment from my life when my kids were very young, toddlers even, uh, we were uh, in the house minding our own business, and I heard something with my, my dog pinpoint ears far, far in the distance, and it, it was a chime, it was a, a melody that spoke to the deepness, the depth of my heart, and, and, and it wasn't a, a, a siren for the tornadoes and a, a warning kind of thing. It was something much more powerful. It was the sound of the ice cream truck approaching from several neighborhoods away. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but I'm I'm 38 years old and something within me, when I hear this chime, this old rickety sound, I've got about two minutes to find 85 cents anywhere I can in the house. And I'll be throwing pillows and cushions and under the things. The dog is barking, going crazy. I am running 
crazy because I know I have a very small window and my toddlers are looking at me like, what's going on, Dad? What's going on? And they don't understand that something amazing is about to happen in their life and in my life and I want them to experience it. And so I try to, to whisk them along and we see this old broken down, you know, mail truck turned into a rusty bucket of an ice cream truck and the, the chime is all, you know, it's all broken down and kids are running and here's this 30-year-old man running and trying to push kids out of the way to, to get my Fred Flintstone's orange push pop. Something that speaks deeply to my heart. and I want to experience it with my kids because I want them to see it. I want them to know that, that if, you, if you can hear with really good ears, you can be the first in line before they run out of the pops because they're famous and they're delicious and uh, we can't get enough of those. It's interesting, though, I, I have this image that I want my children to experience something amazing like that, something that's a rite of passage in American culture. Since the 30s, the ice cream truck rolls around on hot summer days, and for a mere 85 cents, your, your, your allowance can be broken, and you can run and enjoy something delicious like this. And It's interesting that the father wants a child to experience it, and he's excited because he knows there's great treats at the end of that. It makes me think about a father who's truly loving Wanting to give a great gift to his kids. I don't know what your Christmas experience was like this past week. Our experience at the Harding home was, was outstanding. We had a great Christmas. And um, we, we ultimately did uh, uh, presents in the morning, on Christmas morning. And then, uh, you know, after everything was said and done, it was kind of unique because uh, my daughter really, really wanted this awesome camera. And we told her, sweetheart, it's a little too much money. We can't really afford it. And don't get your hopes up for that because it's probably not going to happen. And, she tore open all her presents and realized at the end of all the gift giving, it wasn't there. Only because as a good father, our delight was, and as my wife and I wanted to really bless them, oh, I think there might be just one more present, kind of, though, right? You know, maybe you had this kind of experience. And so uh, I, we, we took a photo montage of the emotional experience. We want you to enjoy with us what happened in our home. So you'll see our first picture is my, my daughter's in gleeful anticipation of, what is this last present? What could it be? And her heart, I know, her heart, I know, is like, maybe it's the camera. Maybe it is. And, of course, you know, as good parents, we want to we want to torture our children. And so you'll see what happens. Is she got so excited about it, it was an empty camera case. And bless her heart, it broke her heart right in the middle of Christmas. I'm thinking, oh, what have we done to our poor daughter? And, of course, the next slide will show that I am, I'm trying to be tender, but I just, all I can do is laugh. All I can do is is beyond my face thinking, oh my gosh, my poor daughter has had her heart broken. And then the next slide will show that glee, she did get the camera after all. And it just, it just, it's got the elation and the letdown and the elation. And it shows me that the heart of a father wanting to give good gifts is awesome. And, and she got the camera and she's now learning photography and it's a beautiful thing. But it reminds me this morning of our text. And the text is, here is Paul sitting in prison, writing a letter in gleeful anticipation that the church at Ephesus is going to understand a great gift. Something incredible that he knows and he's tasted and he wants so much for the church at Ephesus to get it. And you can imagine Ron having planted this church, Rock Point Church, some nine years ago. And about four years into the church plant, God called him to go to a Middle Eastern country, a Muslim country, to try to church plant there. But because of his faithfulness, he was put into jail. 
And as he's sitting in jail in the middle of a Middle Eastern Muslim country, his heart is broken and he's thinking about Rock Point Church in Flower Mound, Texas. And he thinks about what God is about to do in your midst. And he writes this letter, a beautiful letter to say, Rock Point Church, God is about to do something amazing in your midst. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. And this is Paul's heart as he writes to the church in Ephesus. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, starting in verse 15. Would you read with me? It will be on the screen. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Let's just read to the end of the chapter. The heart of Paul for the church. And Paul says in verse 15 of chapter 1, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord, having heard of your faith in the Lord, Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and of your love for all the saints, all the body of Christ, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation and the knowledge of Him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you, you church, will know what is the hope of God's calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in all the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? And all of this is done in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Jesus Christ when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and all authority and all power and all rule and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things in submission under His feet. And He gave Him, Jesus, as the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, who fills all in all. How awesome that Paul is saying that we, the church, today, in 2012, the first day of this year, we are the fullness of Jesus Christ today. And here's the passion. I read in the passion of this passage that Paul is saying, I want you to understand church, because you have Christ, and you're saved, and you know you're saved, and you're secure in your salvation. So what now? What do we do with this knowledge now? What's the next steps of not just knowing that you're believers in Christ and you're the fullness of Christ? What do you do? How do you progress in your faith, in your walk as believers and Christians? And he said, I want you to understand. I pray. I desire. I yearn for you to know the spirit of both revelation and the spirit of wisdom. What is he saying when he says, I want you to understand the spirit of revelation? And of wisdom that's bound up in the knowledge of Christ. He speaks of revelation again being this, this opening, this understanding that God is something so much greater, so much, so much difficult for us as human beings in our limited, finite space to be able to conceive of a great, powerful God. And he says, I want you to discover who is this God. I'm praying for you, church. That God would open your hearts and open your minds to understand who is this great God that loves you? Who is this great creator and redeemer that has saved you? What a beautiful thought to think this morning that is a task, a challenge for you this year in 2012 is to say, I challenge, I, I, I kind of decide that I want to make this year the year where I dive into my knowledge of God. 
And my heart will be open to understand more and deeper and greater truths about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The God of all ages. And Paul is asking the church of Ephesus to think about who is this God of yours? This God who has called you. This God that loves you. And as we unpack the spirit of revelation, as the Holy Spirit of God works deeply in our lives to, un- to help us uncover and unpack this knowledge of this great God that we serve and that loves us, then we discover the spirit of wisdom. And the wisdom is what do we do with that knowledge? Who are we to become because of what we have learned about the depths of who God is? Because the more we we dive into Scripture, the more we learn to love God, the more we learn to love His Word, the more it should change us. And as it changes us, it should change us to become deeper followers, more loving and obedient Christians in the likeness of the Son, Jesus Christ. So as we learn who God is, the spirit of wisdom, the revelation that helps us understand who we are to become, and what we are to do with the knowledge that we have, and when we are to use that knowledge. I think deeply about how what I know impacts what I believe. and impacts how I choose to respond to those beliefs. I believe it's a New, a new Year's resolution as an action point. I would challenge you to think about this year as the seeking Discover more deeply how you can know the God of the universe. To understand who He is and His nature. What's beautiful is, the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 1, that all of it is bound up in the knowledge of Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 says that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So as we look at Jesus Christ, as we look at His nature and His works and what He did and how He loved and how He healed and the heart of redemption that we see in Scripture about Jesus Christ, the more we see Him, the more we see the God of the universe. So many people believe that the God of the Old Testament is very different than the God of the New Testament. But unfortunately, they miss the fact that Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament, but in physical, incarnate form to show us to live and to breathe and to demonstrate a life of love, a life of ministry and focus, to demonstrate physically who is the God of the Old and New Testament, who is the God of today. So I challenge you, church, as Paul challenged the church of Ephesus, that because you are believers in Christ, because you do love God, but it's your task, Not to spend time away from God, but this year, to specifically engage more into your knowledge. Specifically engage into theology, which is the study of God. The heartbeat and the works and the desires of God. And as you do, and you'll discover who this God that loves you is, it will change you. And God will draw in you to become someone new. And you will take that knowledge and be faithful about the work of God, knowing what to do and when to do it. I think Paul unpacks for us a beautiful concept. The concept is the more that I see who God is, the more I understand that when I am discouraged about the direction of my life, 
I can understand the hope of God's call on my life. And here, here God, God through Paul unpacks this idea that he prays the eyes of our heart, verse 18, will be enlightened so that we will know what is the hope of his calling. Because as we see who God is, and we unpack more and more who is this God of the universe and who is this heart that draws me to him, the more I understand that as Jesus Christ lived and worked and ministered, he's drawing me to understand the hope of his calling. And how many of us this year would say, I've been dissatisfied with 2011, with the direction of my life, with, with the, where I've been going and I'm heading, I'm kind of in a, a dead end. And God is saying very specifically to you this morning, who he, through his Spirit brought you here this morning to be confronted with this text. But say there is a hope. And hope, I believe, is a future blessing. It's a future blessing based in the very promise of God's presence and our faithfulness in present circumstances. And we look to the hope of the calling. And what is the calling? I believe the Bible talks about several calls of God, but I believe we can kind of break down four very specific calls this morning in your life. For every believer, at some point, God has called you to salvation. Otherwise, you would not be a believer in Christ. You didn't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll just be a part of the body of Christ. You know, it was God's call. We see in Romans 8.30 that here is, here is the very heart of God to give salvation to these who are lost, who are needed. And the call of God to salvation is a very real call. It's a life-changing call. And this morning, if you've not been there, if you're at a place where you've been thinking about Christianity and maybe you've been thinking about the church of God and what is all this about, I would say it's a whole lot less of a cerebral mental knowledge and the heart of God this morning. Maybe He is speaking deeply to your heart to say, I am calling you on the first day of this year to quit playing church, to quit thinking about religiosity, and to run headlong into a relationship with me, the God of the universe. You would be saved, saved from yourself, saved from sin, saved from eternity apart from God. And that calling is upon every believer that we would know Jesus Christ intimately and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now maybe this morning God's calling you to that. But for every believer in Christ, there's a call as well to fellowship. And that fellowship is not simply to know that I'm a believer in Christ, but to have an intimate walk a desire to say, Father, I want to spend time with you this week because you're the God of the universe and you love me and you've called me and you know my name and you've given me a new name and you've given me new desires and a new life and I want to spend time engaging with you because we have this relationship, fellowship, which Corinthians 1.9 speaks about the call of fellowship in our life. But that fellowship, unfortunately, is broken many times because of our sinful actions. And 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness to what end? So that we can restore our fellowship with Christ. Maybe this morning the call upon your life is for repentance. That maybe this morning there's a variety of things in your life of unconfessed sin and that fellowship has been broken for a season. Your relationship with God hasn't changed because He's still your Father and you're a child and you're saved because of what He's done on the cross for you. And your actions cannot undo that. I believe in the eternal security of the believer in Jesus Christ. But that relationship, though it is solid, our fellowship can be broken because of our sinful actions. And the Bible speaks about our fellowship and our desire and need for repentance, which is to turn back and to run to Christ 
this morning and say, Father, I've been unfaithful. Lord Jesus, I have forsaken what you've shown me and I need to come back and be forgiven and cleansed to restore that right fellowship with us. The Bible speaks about a call to salvation. The Bible speaks about a call to fellowship and a call to repentance. But this morning, I would challenge you and ask you to think about the call to ministry. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily a vocational call, a, a full-time pastoral call where you're supposed to quit your job and be a missionary on the, on the mission field somewhere or be a pastor on a church staff or go to seminary. However, I'm not saying that God doesn't do that. Obviously, He does. He calls folks in the most inopportune times in your life to be faithful in ministry. But let me ask you a very difficult question this morning. Have you defined and can you understand what it is that God has called you and your family and you and your spouse and you specifically to ministry? As we think about 2012 and the next 364 days of this coming year, what has God called you to do specifically for His glory and others' benefit? In other words, God has called us to be about the kingdom building process of ministry. And let me just challenge you this way. I believe when the Word of God is preached, no matter what topic it is, no matter how or when, that every time the Word of God is broken before us, I believe there's a faith response and there's a call of one of those four things that should happen every single Sunday. The people should come to Jesus Christ because the Word of God is open. They should be radically saved because God is a God of salvation. And there'd be people who need to restore that relationship. So maybe God would call them to repentance on Sundays. But it doesn't have to happen on Sundays or a Wednesday or a church event. It can happen in your closet on the way to work. I mean, God can do any of these things at any time. But the desire of God's heart is to draw His people through the Holy Spirit based on His Word for salvation and for repentance and a deep fellowship. But what about ministry in your life? Because the Holy Spirit would speak for a season and say, this is a season of ministry that looks like this and it's going to be difficult for you. Or maybe it's a season of ministry that looks like this and this is going to be a change for your family. But this is God's call in your life. I love the, the, the concept that to embrace God's calling on your life is a step toward uncertainty, yet simultaneously toward certain presence, the presence of the living God. In other words, as God calls you for a ministry, and I'm, I'm asking the Holy Spirit, I've been praying for you to think about this today, all day long, this whole Sunday, what has God called me to in 2012? What is the ministry of God for my life and my family that He's called us to, to run into? And it's going to cost something of you. It's not going to simply be easy because the things that are worthwhile doing, the things that God is usually a part of, doesn't call you into comfort, doesn't call you into what is easy, doesn't call you what is going to build into your rights. Rather, He calls you into things that is difficult. He calls you into ministry that's going to force you to, to look into people's lives and to love people where they're at. And people's lives are messy and your lives are messy. And all of us, through the power of the grace of God, are are called to minister one to another. And that looks different for everyone. So what does that call in your life specifically look like for ministry? I love it because that step will reveal more of God Himself as He helps you die to more of yourself. There's a story in the 1950s of Richard Wormbrun. He is a guy who is now a famous author. The late Richard Wormbrun. He was writing about his ministry to communist Russia. 
in the late 50s when the communist stronghold was very, very ironclad. And if you had proclaimed Christ within any communist country that they claimed, you would be certainly in prison if not sent to Siberia. Richard and his fellow workers, unfortunately, were sent to Romania. And they were put in this nasty prison in Romania. And these guys were tortured and starved and horribly suffered for being faithful to their call to share Christ and the truth of the Word of God among the, the communists in the communist countries. Richard was one of the few that survived his experience. But he wrote down a journal later. And let me, let me read to you what you, he wrote about being faithful in the season of the call. He says, and all of a sudden this great miracle happened. It dawned on me that when things in the prison were at their worst, when we were tortured as never before, when we began all of a sudden to love those who tortured us. And just as a flower, when you bruise it underfoot, rewards you with its perfume. The more we were mocked, the more we were tortured, the more we began to pity and to love our torturers. He asked the question, how can you love someone who's torturing you? And he replies, by looking at men, not as they are, but men as they will be. I could see in my torturers as the persecutors of Saul of Tarsus, a future Apostle Paul. And many officers of the secret police to whom we witnessed became Christians and were happy themselves to later suffer in prison for having found Christ. And although we were whipped, as Paul was whipped, in our jailers we saw the potential of the jailer of Philippi who became a convert. And we dreamed soon that they would ask, what must I do to be saved? It was in this prison that we found the hope of salvation for the communists. It was there that we developed a sense of responsibility toward the communists. It was there in this prison under the great torture, the idea of a Christian mission to all communists was born. And we ask ourselves, what can we do to win these men to Christ? And Richard writes, the gates of heaven are not closed for the communists. Neither is the light quenched for them. They can repent like everyone else, and we must call them to repentance by our lives. Only love can change the communist and the terrorist. It's an apt word for today. And then he writes this. These men, our prisoners, have done their duty well. They have beat us well. And they torture us well. So let us, as believers, let us do our duty well. Let us sing well for the glory of God. All they could do in response to their torture was to sing. To sing the grace of God. And to sing the love of God that these are torturers. And Richard later writes that many did come to Christ as a result of their testimony and the power of the loving God. See, when we see the hope of God's calling on our life, we understand that God is at work and God is at work doing the ministry on our behalf. And He's invited us to join Him. He's invited us to be a part of what He's already doing if we'll open our hearts and say yes. So I don't know if 2011 was opulent for you, if 2011 was a struggle for you emotionally or maritally, with your families at work, I'm not sure if you've been discouraged in the direction of your life, but I would tell you this morning, God is calling you to greater and more faithful ministry to Him today and this next year. And as you decide 
Father, what does it mean for me to, to, to risk big, to risk big on God, to lose a part of myself and a part of my kingdom, the things that you've built, the things that you've placed high on the, on the count of what makes sense for your life. Maybe it's money or position or, or having a great job or having a stable family, the things that you have invested your life in in 2011. God would say, I've called you to take and put this aside and to put my desires and to call upon my life in your life, to raise it up, to build the kingdom of God. Not my kingdom, but God's kingdom and His heart. What is God calling you to today and for the rest of this year? The beautiful thing is we read in Ephesians and we keep reading that, that when we're discouraged about our direction of life, He reveals through the person of Jesus Christ the hope of our calling. And when we're just discontent and Overwhelmed by our surroundings and circumstances, he says, I want you to understand what is the riches of his inglorious inheritance. He says, you're working and you're laboring for a future reward. Because the God of all provision will provide what you need now to be content. But your labor is for a heavenly reward. God says, the latter part of that, to know the calling and the inheritance in verse 19, he says, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the power that took Jesus who was tortured and killed and buried. The same love, the same resurrection power that spoke into Christ to go from death to life. This is the same power Paul is saying is available for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. As we press into the call, knowing that we're laboring for a heavenly reward, for somebody that's going to build the kingdom of God, we get discouraged and overwhelmed, and it's difficult for us, and God says, I've given you the Holy Spirit and the power of the living God through this Spirit to be faithful to the call of God in your life. Both to salvation and to repentance and to fellowship and for ministry, specifically ministry that God has called you to. How do we respond to this God that loves us so much that He's invited us to be a part of His church where He is the head and He calls us the very fullness of Christ? I don't know if someone's paid you a compliment lately, but that's a beautiful compliment that Paul says we've been called the very fullness of Christ. This morning as we think about our life, and the next year of 2012, I challenge you to think about God's call upon your life. And how do you respond as, a, as an action point? You think about today, discover what exactly is God calling me today? What you think about the question, what will I risk for God's greater glory and my benefit? Or God's greater glory and others' benefit? So what will it take for you to get started? What will it take for you to see that God has called you to be the hands and feet of Christ to touch, literally touch others for His glory? I love this old story of beautiful marble statues from Michelangelo in Italy that were destroyed in World War II. And these were the pride and joy of these towns and there was a, a picture of Christ that was built in 
Christ had these beautiful hands outstretched and this beautiful solid marble statue, but because of the World War II bombs, the statue had toppled over and the feet and the hands of the statue were broken off. And after the rebel was cleared, the town came out to see the horror of their famous Michelangelo statue. The hands and the feet were broken off. They wept because for generations they've been proud of what they were known for. And they pulled, and several men pulled out of the rubble the statue of the, the broken Jesus, as it were. And they're thinking about how can we, how can we come together and mold and plaster and put this back on because otherwise we'll not be known, we'll not be famous anymore. And the mayor of the town insightfully said, no, the statue will remain just as it is. And we will prop it even higher and display it in even a more glorious place because this symbolizes who we are. For we, this town, will become the hands of Jesus and the very feet of Jesus. A living testimony for what God has called us to be for our region of Italy. What a beautiful illustration. That we are the hands and feet of Christ now in this generation for 2012. I want to end with the Scripture, Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul, a few chapters later here, as he ends his letter to the church of Ephesus, says, Church, it's your task to choose to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you receive. To walk worthy in a manner to who God has called you to be. Because God has called you for this. And He may call you to serve. He might call you as you serve to suffer. And you're working for a heavenly reward. Something that's going to outlast everything that you know of in your life. And this labor is not in vain. And the people that you touch and the lives that you minister to, this ministry builds a kingdom of God. And this is all possible through the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So as you consider that, he says, your task is to learn to walk in a manner worthy of that call. The call of Christ in your life. In the year 203, there were five newer converts to Christianity. And Septimus Severus, the Roman emperor, was raging against Christianity in Rome. And five converts had broken the law and had spoken out not to worship the Roman gods, but to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And they were sentenced to death. And one lady named Perpetua was pregnant, eight months pregnant, put into jail, and they waited until she had her baby because it was against Roman law to crucify or kill a woman who was pregnant. And as soon as she had her baby, the day after, they took her and five of her friends to the arena in Carthage to be killed. And the, the account is actually pretty graphic, which I won't recount here. But it's an incredible read because as she's in that cell about to give birth, she writes down her last testimony of who she is and what she believes and how she'll choose to die. Because Christ has radically saved her life. And I want to read the last part of her diary as she writes this. She says, Do not be ashamed by my death. I think it's the greatest honor of my life. And I thank God for calling me to give my life for His sake 
and to give my life for his cause. He gave the same honor to the holy prophets, his dearly loved, beloved apostles, and his blessed and chosen martyrs. She says, I have no doubt that I am dying for God's cause and the cause of truth. And she says, and when my body starts to fail and to buckle under the strain of the torture, watch my face. Watch my face. This young 20-year-old lady, just given birth to life, that she had to give away. So she didn't go to her death and stand before a crowd of those who cheer and mock her belief that Christ Jesus is worth her life and her best and her ministry. And I don't know if she had a copy of the, the, the copy of the letter of Ephesians or not, but I can only imagine that in heaven, as the Bible says, in Hebrews we have this cloud of witnesses of faith who would cheer perpetual on to stand as she stands before her killers to say, I don't know if my body will take the strain. It will no doubt be bloodied and it will buckle and it will fail. But for my dying breath, watch my face because I know who I am and whose I am. That challenges me this morning, church. Challenges me this morning to say this year in 2012, I pray to God the Holy Spirit will give me the resolve to live my life according to His call, not to what's comfortable, according to His call, not to what brings me glory and riches and wealth and faith, but to His call upon my life that He gets incredible glory and people's lives are changed at work and in my family and in my community. And I pray that my life would be like perpetual as I say, I'm going to mess up. I'm not always going to be on top. But watch my face as it expresses my desire to please God first. This is my New Year's prayer for you. And I pray that God, the Holy Spirit, this morning would speak deeply into your life according to His Word. Let us pray. Father God, I ask this morning that your, your powerful spirit would communicate into the depths of our heart this morning. That Lord, not a person in this room would leave here unchanged and unaffected by your call on their life. And Father, this morning that call may simply be to salvation. And I pray, Holy Spirit, if there's anyone in this room who does not know that they know that you are their King and Savior, that you desire a relationship for their life, that God, that they would not leave this church before they find someone to talk to or but pray that prayer and ask you, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and to save them and to invade their life once and for all. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead folks this morning to repentance, perhaps of a life poorly lived in 2011, but God, you would choose by your grace to bring us today while we to grow to fall on our knees and to ask You, God, have mercy on me. Lord, help us to be cleansed. Father, the fellowship, I pray that, God, You would call these into fellowship with You. And to deep intimacy this year, 
perhaps more than any other point in their life, that God, they would seek and yearn to run toward you, the living King, and that you would fulfill and satiate their desires as only you, the Lord God, can. Father, I pray that if we are believed as Christians and we are repented and clean and in fellowship with you, then I pray, God, this morning, you would call us to deeper and more effective ministry for your kingdom. Father, we ask this morning that you have your way in your church. And we thank you in advance for all that you'll do. And for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.